0: We're going to look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 19. And uh, if you have found that, if you're able to find that, if you have something that allows you to find that, take a look. And would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 19. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. This is the word of God. God. And you can... Uh, So from this passage this morning, I'm going to preach from the title, The Law of Love. The Law of Love. We've been looking at Deuteronomy for uh, a little while now, uh, for a few weeks. And we uh, have seen that the the book of Deuteronomy is uh, spoken to the people of God, the Israelites, as they stand on the brink of the promised land. Uh, They are the second generation Uh, who were uh, uh, rescued from Egypt. Uh, The first generation has died off after 40 years of wandering because that generation refused to believe God's promises for them and did not want to enter the promised land. Now the second generation is ready to enter the promised land. They're full of hope and anxiety. They're anticipating what God has for them, and they're also um, probably pretty frightened as well. And... Deuteronomy is what God wants to say to these people before they enter the land. God could have said a lot of different things. God could have given them a lot. He could have given them a war plan. There was battle ahead. God could have given them a 10-year strategic plan. That's what I would have done. I love strategic plans. All right. he, could have done, he could have given them a whole lot of things. Instead, what does God give them? Law. What God gives his people before they enter the land, when they're standing right on the brink of this new thing, is the law. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, right before God gives them the Ten Commandments, we hear this. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant for us at Horeb, It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Here is real. The decree's laws, I declare on your hearing today. God could have done anything he wanted to do, and he says, I'm going to give you law. This is what you need. This is what's going to be most helpful and important to you. Now, what is, when we say the law, what is the law? What what, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? By the time that, that Jesus arrives, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders had identified over 600 different Old Testament laws. So that would be one way of thinking what, what, what the law is when, when we're talking about the law, be these 600 different laws. But in fact, each of those 600 laws are, are really in some way pointing back to the Ten Commandments. So don't get overwhelmed by 600, like, okay, don't, don't start freaking out right now. Because really, all those hundreds of laws are in some way like commentary on the Ten Commandments or implications of the Ten Commandments. They they all can sort of be traced back in in, in some way to to the Ten Commandments, to to the the, the clear law that God gives his people both at Mount Sinai and then later a second time in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. This is the law. And again, there's a lot more to it, but in some way, all of it is going to be pointing back to these Ten Commandments. So an easy way for us to think about what is the law is by thinking of the Ten Commandments. And, and actually, it gets even simpler than that, because the Ten Commandments, um, Jesus says, can kind of be summed up in, in two other commandments. Do you remember what they are? What are they? Lo- love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So, so there's a way in which, when, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about loving God and loving neighbor. that's kind of a a really easy way to think about what do we mean when we say that that God gives his people the law right before they enter the promised land. Like, the the simplest way to say that is God tells them, love me and love your neighbor. Now, here's the Ten Commandments. That's going to help you sort of see this very clearly, what this is going to look like. And then here's these other laws and decrees on top of that that's going to flesh some of this stuff out for you in this context. But it boils down to loving God and loving God neighbor. The law was the expression of Israel's covenant relationship with God. They're standing on the edge. God doesn't give them a war plan. He doesn't give them a strategic plan. God gives them the law because, and this is really important, because the law is the expression of his covenant relationship with them. The law is the expression of of God's covenant relationship with Israel. Go like this if that makes sense, okay? So this is why God gives them the law instead of anything else right before they enter the promised land because the law is the covenant is the expression of God's covenant relationship with Israel. One Old Testament scholar puts it this way. He says, "God asks for the life but also the heart." Neither outward obedience nor inner attitude is enough on its own. We are whole people, and the relationship involves the whole person. The law is the expression of that covenant relationship with God. Israel was about to enter into a land that didn't recognize their God, that didn't care anything about their God, that didn't believe in their God. They were going to be tempted to worship God false gods. They were going to be tempted to follow idolatries and ideologies of other nations. And by keeping God's law, the people would be expressing the exclusive covenant relationship they had with God. Here's another way we can maybe picture this. The the primary way that we use covenant language these days is about what? Marriage, right? That, That we've kind of whittled it down to marriage, which is unfortunate, but is true. Now, one of the things, if you're married, is you, you don't sleep with people who aren't your spouse. Okay, that's true of people who aren't married, too. No amen to that? In theory, right? Uh, but One of the things that you say when you get married is, I forsake all others, right? Uh, not only do I not sleep with anybody else, I don't even like, make it look like I'm anywhere close to that kind of relationship, right? Now, not sleeping with somebody else doesn't make you married, but it is... It's an expression of the covenant that you've made with that person. It's one of the implications of that, right? When when two people get married, they're they're committing to thinking the best about each other, to to speaking the best about each other, to become that person's student for the rest of of their lives, for being that that person's biggest cheerleader when when everything else is getting hard. Now, none of those things make the marriage a marriage, But they all are expressions of the covenant that was made in that marriage. Are you with me? So the law is the expression of this covenant relationship between God and his people. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So what about us? How do we, as people who are not standing on the brink of that promised land, how do we, as people who have faith in Jesus Christ, how do we come to the law? How do we think about the law? And I want to tell you two ways that I've noticed that we think about the law. The first is this. Some of us have have thought about the law that we find in the Bible as a list of religious rules that need to be kept in order for us to be acceptable to God. Okay? Okay. So some of us, when we think about, frankly, the Bible, we're thinking that that mostly what this book is is like, instructions on how to keep God happy, to put it positively. How not to piss God off, to put it more negatively, right? We think about the law in this way. So let me understand what I am supposed to do, keep the Sabbath. Let me understand what I'm not supposed to do, make idols, and let me make sure I I keep those things so that I stay on God's good side, Others of us, this is the second way I see us interacting with the law, others of us, we, we think like, well, God sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins, and so everything is grace now, so I don't really have to think about this. I don't have to wrestle with this. Because I'm free of all of that. I've had people, I've, I've had people I, don't, I don't need to observe Sabbath. I don't need to, to, to enjoy God's gift of, of rest because I'm free of that now. I'm free of the law. So I don't have to think about this at all. I think that those two responses to the law are the most common ones that Christian people have. We're either kind of obsessed with making sure we're keeping it. So we got to get our doctrine just right every single last piece. And so we have some churches who have, like, web pages where the doctrine is, like, boom, 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 boom. And, like, five hours later, you're still kind of reading through all the bullet points, right? Because we need to make sure that we're getting it right. We want to stay on God's good. And then we have others of us who literally don't think about it at all. Both of these responses completely miss the point. Both of these responses, I would say, are completely wrong. Why? Because the law is an expression of a covenant relationship with God. So it doesn't make sense for you and I to think about the law as a list of religious rules that we need to keep perfectly to keep God happy. Why? Because that was never God's intention. That was never the the point. That was never what the law was for. God's law was always an expression of a covenant relationship between God and his people. How about then about the tendency that you and I have to completely ignore the law, thinking that Jesus made it irrelevant, What does Jesus say on the topic? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commands. So clearly, Jesus still has a a high view of the law. Clearly, Jesus still thinks that the, the law is important for his followers, for his disciples. So, so, so if God's law still matters, though not in the religious rule-keeping way that some of us have experienced, what then is our posture to God's law? How are you and I to think about the role of God's law in our lives? I think we can start by putting ourselves in the Israelites' shoes. Are we so different from them? God was preparing those wandering Hebrews, to live faithfully among people who did not honor him or worship him. God's way of preparing his people to live among nations and peoples who did not recognize God or honor God was to give them God's law. Are we so different? The people could have said to God, well, look, we get the basic concept. Love God and love neighbor. I think we're good with that. We don't need the Ten Commandments. We don't, we don't need the, the, the additional commands of kind of contextualizing ours. We're good. We, we got love God, love neighbors, I'm sure we're gonna be fine. But God understood that the covenant relationship that was at that moment so clear and so important would come under siege in the Promised Land. The living, dynamic relationship with the one true God was going to be tested by idols and by ideologies. The people who had so much confidence in that moment were going to be tempted to trade away their status as God's beloved children for the empty promises made by, say, military power, or nationalistic zeal, or competitive wealth. All of these things would tempt them to to trade away the relationship that they had with God. And so God gave them his law. Are we so different? Are we somehow better able to stand against the false promises and empty temptations of cultures that do not worship our God? Are you and I less susceptible to the idols and the ideologies of our day? Is it enough for us, in other words, to say, love God, love neighbor, got it, good, no problem. Are we somehow different? I have two examples of this right now that are playing out are, are like, our loyalty to the NFL, and our loyalty to Hollywood. Like In both of these, we, we are seeing an underbelly that's nasty, that's racist, that's profoundly sexist and misogynistic. Right? And these things are working on us on a daily basis. They're forming us. We, we care deeply about these things. We, we fight about these things. Are we so different that we can somehow not care about this expression of our relationship with God? When Jesus says that we are to keep his commands. We need to hear, like the Israelites, an invitation to express our relationship with God in a world where that relationship will often not be valid. It's an invitation to relationship. So with that in mind, I want to share with you three postures toward the law as an expression of God's covenant relationship with us. And then I want to share with you three outflows or or three results when we keep God's law as an expression of covenant relationship. And since we don't have a screen, I'm going to do my best to illustrate this, keep your expectations really low. So, this is the law. X, Roman numeral 10, the Ten Commandments. How is that is as sophisticated as it's going to get. So, what I want us to think about is what changes if we think about God's law as the expression of our covenant relationship with God. Okay? So to get there three different initial postures. And the first is the fear of the Lord. The passage that we read in chapter 10 Verse 12a, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him? Fear of the Lord is a huge theme in the scriptures. It's not something we maybe are used to talking about all that often. We talked about it a fair bit in our sexuality sermon series earlier this year because we, we said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we were going to have anything uh, wise to say about sexuality, we needed to begin with the fear of the of the Lord. God assumes that his people are coming to the law with a righteous fear of the lawgiver. You and I can tend to have a, a, a kind of caricatured version of the law. We think of two stone tablets with, you know, chiseled out and dusty, and maybe they're kind of broken and. You know what the the people would have imagined when they thought about God's law? They would have thought about a voice out of the darkness. They would have thought about a mountain ablaze with fire. In chapter 5, when God gives the people the law, Moses is up on the mountain and he goes into the darkness and the mountain is lit up with fire. The people hear this booming voice of God giving the law. And do you know what the people's response is? This is helpful for all of us who said, man, I just wish God would say something to me. The people's response to Moses is, we never want to experience that again. That was too much for us. That was too much for us. Moses, from now on, you go and listen to God and then you tell us what God said and that will be enough for us that terrified us. To be in the presence of God, to see God's presence manifest in darkness and in flame. And so when the people of God thought about God's law, they were thinking with the fear of the Lord in their belly. They weren't thinking simply of two tablets of commandments or a uh, a bound book full of words. They were thinking about the one who gave that law, who inspired deep, righteous fear before this holy one. Are you with me? Here's the second part. The second part of verse 12. Walk in obedience to him. And to love him, to love God, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul. Now this language echoes the most famous Jewish prayer known as the Shema that comes in chapter 5 right after the Ten Commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. When you and I think about loving God... We might think about a certain emotion or a thought or doing something. Uh, we have a, a bifurcated uh, view of our own personhood. We think about our brains and thinking about stuff. We might think about our soul, spirit, feeling certain things, or our bodies doing certain things. This is a very un-Jewish way of thinking about people. Jewish people thought about people, thought about bodies. They didn't make a difference between spirit and soul and body and flesh. It was just, you, were, you were a whole person made in the image of God. Amen? And so when, 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 when God tells His people to, to love Him, God doesn't go down the list. Like, here's all the different ways that you need to love me. God is expecting and anticipating that, that they understand soul, strength, mind, body. We love God with everything that we have. If we are... Going to rightly understand the law, we have to begin with loving the lawgiver. We will never rightly understand God's law if we don't begin with loving the one who gives us that law. You see, the people could remember this is what God did for us. We used to be enslaved, we used to be captive in Egypt, and and God kept us, and and God protected us, and God gave us food, and God protected us from our enemies. And so when God gives them the law, there is the, the instinct to think about their love for the one who gives them this law. Is that our starting point with God's word, with God's law? Is our starting point this deep and abiding love for the one who gives it to us, or are we interested in picking it apart? Are we interested in, 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 in trying to figure out what applies to me and what doesn't apply to me? Not that those are bad questions, but they're not the first questions. They're not our starting point. We begin with fearing the Lord and loving the Lord, and then... Worship has one P or two Ps. Y'all don't know either? One, okay, we fear the Lord, we love the Lord, and in the third posture, to rightly understand the law as an expression of our covenant relationship with God is that we worship the Lord. In verse 14, Moses says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Now, if you look carefully at this, this it's kind of random. Moses is talking about the law. He's talking about obedience, fearing the Lord. He gets into some justice stuff in a minute that we'll get to. But here in this random verse, Moses just starts worshiping. Just like kind of right in the middle of the instructions. Moses just can't help himself. The Lord belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. This is one of the things I love about Deuteronomy. We think of it as a book of law, lots of instructions, the commandments. But as you read through Deuteronomy, there's all these it's like praise breaks in them. <laughs> where it's just like, like Moses just can't help himself. He just, he's remembering what God did. He, he's remembering who God is. He's, he's remembering God's promises. And so there are just these moments like this where he just worships. Just starts describing what God is like. Telling testimonies of what God has done. Reminding the people to praise their God. At the, at, towards the very end of the book, in, in chapter 32, Moses has gone through this whole long sermon. It's a three hour sermon. That's what Deuteronomy is a three hour sermon. And, and, and he's instructions and teaching and law and commandments. And he gets to the end of it. And in verse 32, he just starts singing. <laughs> he just worships for the entire chapter of it, just a song that just comes out of him. Like, is that how we think about the law? <laughs> We come to it with a spirit of, of worship and adoration and praise for who God is and who the lawgiver is. In that song in chapter 32, Moses says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. We are going to rightly come at the law as an expression of our relationship with God. We have to come at the law as worshipers. We don't initially come to God's word for us as students, though I hope you will study the word of God. We don't come at God's word thinking that we'll master it or that we'll completely figure it out. We come to God's word. We come to the law as worshipers because we understand who's behind it, who gave it, who revealed it to us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Everything changes when we worship. Everything changes when we worship. When you are genuinely worshiping in the presence of God, when you lose your inhibitions about yourself, about your past, about your shame and your sin and your guilt, and when what becomes the biggest in your field of vision is God, and who God is, and what God has done, does anybody know that everything changes in that moment? That everything gets reoriented, that everything gets flipped around, that the impossible thing all of a sudden starts to seem really doable? That, that, that the enemy who seems like he's going to overcome you all of a sudden shrinks really, really small in size? Anybody with me this morning? We come to the law, and if we don't come as worshipers, we'll come and we'll feel burdened and we'll feel like there's too much here, and how am I supposed to figure all of this out? But when we come as worshipers, everything changes, and we hear instead an invitation into relationship with God. Amen? Fear the Lord, love the Lord, worship the Lord. Is this how you think about God's love? Because we can't understand or engage with God's commandments for our lives if we don't understand first the relational nature of the law. Our posture toward God's law matters because the law is an expression of a relationship. If we come to the law only as a text to understand, as rules to keep, as doctrine to debate, we are going to completely miss the point. But when we start to experience God's law as an expression of a covenant relationship with a living, holy, righteous God, well, our expectations of the law also start to change. Because no longer is the law about what we are supposed to do for God. Now we see that the law is what God wants to do for us. Can I say that one more time? No longer is the law about what we are supposed to do for God. Now the law is about what God wants to do for us and through us. So. Three, to close, three results, three outflows. When you and I begin to experience the law as, a co- as an expression of our covenant relationship with God. The first one is transformation. Amen. Transformation. In verse 16, God says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. The word circumcision is used only twice in Deuteronomy. Never is it used in the way we would think it would be used in terms of setting apart a people in this very physical way. Both times, it's used to talk about the heart, (laughs) about the change of heart, about a heart that has been transformed by God. And it pulls us back to chapter 5 again when God says about his people, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. Keep my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. It's like God's kind of love is just bubbling out. I want their hearts to change. I want their, their hearts to love what's best for them. I, I, I want their, their lives to be everything that they can be, that, that it would go well for them and not just them, but the, the succeeding generations as well. Throughout Deuteronomy, God says that his desire is for his people to love him. This is what God wants more than anything else. He wants his people's hearts to be transformed. This is what Jesus came to do for us. Amen? Jesus didn't come to fix your behavior. Jesus didn't come to patch up your life as it is. Jesus came to transform you at the deepest place of who you are. He came to change your heart, to transform your heart. So the thief who's converted to Jesus might need the law for a little while to remind him not to steal anymore. But after a while, that thing actually transforms him, and he doesn't want to steal anymore. Are you with me? The sexually promiscuous person comes to love chastity. The greedy person, this is probably the hardest one for most of us, the greedy person comes to love generosity. Our hearts are transformed. This is what God wants for us. This is what the law does for us. It doesn't fix our behavior. It doesn't slap us on the wrist when we get it wrong. It's about a deep inner transformation where our desires are being refined and transformed, where we're coming to have deeper and truer and more beautiful and selfless desires and loves. On Monday, our family drove up from Tennessee where Maggie's family lives. We visited them for a few days. It's an eight-hour drive. It took us nine and a half hours. We have two very active children who don't see long car rides as a chance to relax and reflect, stare longingly out the window. So I was tired. Maggie was tired. We were hungry. We kind of got back into the neighborhood around 6 o'clock. There's a pizza place that does half-off pizza. On Monday night, it was perfect. Yes, think about food. We can just drive right there. We sat down, ordered the pizza. Again, it's not a peaceful scene. It's, it's. You're, you can picture this, right? And so the server brings over our waters. We're waiting for the pizza, and she puts the boys' waters down, have lids on. She picks my water up and spills it all over me. And It's very cold. It's ice water. It's getting into everywhere. And I'm not going to tell you how I responded. (laughs) I'm not the best judge of that. You can ask Maggie how I responded. The point is, (laughs) transformation is not about what we get to plan for. Hearts being transformed at the deepest level is not when you and I have our lives going exactly how we want them to go. Right When we've studied enough for the exam. When we've gotten enough sleep the day before when everything's good with our friend or our spouse. That, that, that's not where transformation is proven. It's when someone dumps ice water on you at the end of a really long, frustrating day. Amen? Right? But The hope and the point is that we actually are becoming different people. Right? Because when that water gets spilled on my lap, I don't have time to sit there and think, now what would Jesus do what, what, what is the best example to my young, formative sons in this moment? What do I want them to remember years from now about how I... There's no time for that. It's just going to come out of me. Like, whatever's in there is going to come out, right? Amen? Am I alone? Are you with me? Right? The promise, the desire of a relationship with God is that we would actually be transformed in the deepest places so when the <laughs> p- hits the fan... Actually, responding as people who reflect the love that God has shown for us. Amen? Second thing is justice. In the middle of the passage that we read, the last few verses, verses 17 through 19. Moses shifts and and he, he starts describing God. He says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. He's the great God, mighty and awesome, and then here's the important thing, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Then he goes on to say, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. By the way, this has absolutely nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about this morning. One of the primary ways that the people of God demonstrate their heart transformation is in whether or not we welcome immigrants and refugees. You see this over and over again in Deuteronomy. That evidence of transformation has everything to do with how hospitable we are to immigrants and to refugees. And contextually, by the way, strange. It wasn't like other uh, ancient Near Eastern nations were were being really hospitable to to, to immigrants and refugees, to foreigners. It's not how it worked. This was utterly distinct about the Israelites. And God says, one of the ways people will know that you are my people, that you've actually been transformed at the deepest level, is how you treat immigrants and refugees. Are you with me? So this is why this is not this is not like a, a, a side pet issue for the church. This is not like kind of one of those things we can think about whether we care very much about, especially in a moment like this in our country. We care about welcoming refugees and immigrants. We, we care about showing deep hospitality because this is an expression of hearts that have been transformed by God because God welcomed us first. Because each of us were immigrants and refugees to the God who welcomed us and loved us. Amen? Nothing to do with anything, but I need to say that. So God says, this is what you're to do. This is what I'm like. I don't show partiality. I don't show any bribes. And so you're to be the same way. One of the expressions of, one of the results of God's law for you and I is that we demonstrate justice to those on the margins. This should just be a natural thing that flows out of people who understand that God's law is about relationship with God. Why? Because this is who God is. Because if the law is an expression of relationship And if the one we're in relationship is the perfect expression of justice, then doesn't it make sense that everything that flows out of this relationship is going to be pursuing justice? If you're a part of this church, there's a pretty decent chance that you care about justice. You probably wouldn't last very long if you didn't. But you and I are unable to pursue justice on our own. We will get overwhelmed by complexity. We'll get overwhelmed by the way that injustice is so entrenched in our world. And frankly, our motives are too selfish and distracted. We just won't last. And you and I both know people who have not lasted, who were passionate, who were fired up, and who faded away. We cannot pursue justice on our own. If we truly care about justice, We are going to have to allow God's law to guide our lives and our priorities. We will have to allow the righteous character of God to shine through his commandments to pursue justice. When we honor God's law, justice will result. I know that for some some people, the idea of caring deeply about justice and, 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 and worshiping God, they don't seem to fit together. But I want you to understand that for the people of God, for the Israelites, there was no way to think of these things as being separate. We worship a God of justice. We worship the only righteous God. So obviously then, we're going to welcome the immigrants. Obviously then, we're not going to harvest all of our fields. We're going to leave some on the side for the people who don't have enough to eat. Obviously then, after seven years, we're going to forgive all debts. Obviously, then, no one person is going to be allowed to accumulate all the land and and kick people off their ancestral land. Obviously, because our God is righteous and he's just. And so when we honor his law, when we see his law as being the expression of relationship with this holy God, justice has to flow out of our lives. Amen? Here's the last one. Shalom. Shalom is another way of saying peace. It's a biblical word that helps us to think about peace in a much bigger way than like an interior thing that we feel. Chapter 5, God says as he's talking about the Ten Commandments, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. This is Moses talking. Do not turn aside to the left or to the right. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. The people of God were always meant to be a blessing to the world. From the very beginning of God's covenant with Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation so that you can be a blessing to the entire world. The Israelites were to show and to demonstrate God's shalom, God's peace, God's prosperity, God's flourishing, God's health, God's reconciliation and restoration. They were to show God's shalom to their neighbors and then invite them into it. That was their purpose. That was why they existed. That was how they were going to demonstrate who they were and what their God was like. So here's the thing. When you read through Deuteronomy, you find that God cares a lot about the land. And not just as like the promised land in abstract. No, like the dirt. (laughs) Like taking care of soil and agriculture. God has opinions about these things. About when the land should rest so that it doesn't get overused. God cares about these things. You know what else you find in Deuteronomy? God cares about animals. Like, God cares about animals. Like, are you treating your animals well? Are, are you taking care of them? Are your animals getting a set rest? Are the wild animals that live on the edges of your land being cared for? Are they getting enough food to eat? Or have you overplowed everything and overgrazed everything so that the wild animals are suffering? God cares about this stuff. Why? Because God's vision of shalom is for all of God's creation. Amen? So the people of God were supposed to demonstrate and embody a vision for shalom that went far beyond themselves. See, it doesn't work for us to just sit in a room like this and say, well, we're all are okay. I, we're, all, we're all feeling okay. We all got enough to eat. We're all relatively comfortable. We got here on time. We're good. That's not how it works. The people of God are meant to demonstrate God's vision of shalom for the whole world. Not just for a few of us. And this vision is all-encompassing. It leaves nothing out. That's why when Pastor Michelle prays for Puerto Rico today, of course she's got to pray about climate change, obviously. Of course she's got to pray about drinking water, obviously. Because this is God's vision of flourishing and shalom for all people, amen? And this flows out of us as we keep the law as God intended it. We are God's stewards, His caretakers. Everything is supposed to flourish under the law that God gave His people. I just I want to say that one more time, because our, we, we've been so formed to think about God's law as a list of religious rules that we're trying not to break. God's law is like the umbrella. Treaty of flourishing for the whole creation. This is not about your small life. This is about all of creation. Your life is a part of that and it matters deeply in that. But God's law is for God's world, for God's creation. God's law is meant to allow everything in this life to thrive and to flourish. Are you with me? As we honor God's law, as the expression of our relationship with Him, we're going to find that our friendships benefit, our families benefit, our blocks and our schools benefit, our city benefits. As our motives and priorities are reoriented around God's vision for a flourishing world, we're going to find ourselves giving our best to that vision. Rather than building our own small and exclusive kingdoms, we'll join God in announcing His kingdom for the universe spirit will open our eyes to where the doors are opening for shalom, to sharing the gospel with friends, to sitting with people who are struggling with depression, to tending the Jackie Robinson community garden, and on and on we can go. The opportunities for partnering with God in announcing his shalom are endless. Would you agree? If you need some ideas, come and find me after the service. As we seek the shalom of our city, we do it not because we're nice people, I'm not. (laughs) And you're not all that nice a lot of the time either. hate to break it to you. That's not why we do it. We don't seek the shalom of our city because we're nice people, because somehow we're super holy. We don't seek the shalom of of the city because we're afraid of making God mad, because we're trying to keep all of his rules perfectly. No, we seek the shalom for all of God's creation, including Chicago, because we belong to the creator who made it all. That's why we seek the shalom of the creator. So, do you want to love God? Then you've got to love His law. Do you want to love your neighbor? Then love God's law. As you and I come to love God's law, we will find that because it's God's law, the law itself is love. God's love for us and then God's love through us for the world. Amen? Amen. So Spirit of God, thank you for um, your law. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing truth to us. We ask this morning that you would expand our vision of what you intend for us in your law. We would come to experience commandments as life-giving, as ways to experience a holy and a righteous God. God, we pray that you would give us a righteous fear of you, that you would help our hearts to love you, that we would come to you in worship as we praise and adore you. In doing so, Lord God, we pray that there would be um, a fruit that comes out of us. Fruits of, of, of transformation in our lives. Fruits of, of justice for those on, on the margins of our world. And in shalom for all of creation. God, we, we are too like the Israelites entering the promised land to think that we somehow um, are beyond needing your law. We need you to instruct us. We need you to teach us. We, we need you to, to show us in some very specific and practical ways. In, in this time and in this place, this is what it looks like to love God. Un, 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 under this pressure, under this temptation, un, under these stresses, th- th- this is what the expression of loving our neighbors looks like. We need your law. We want, we want to come to, to, to love your law, to be thirsty for your law. We, we want to know and to remember, we want to not forget that, that all of your words for us, all of your instructions and commandments for us are simply expressions of the, of the relationship that you already have with us. We, we want to come to see that, that, that as we obey in love your commandments, we, we are simply living out of what's already true, a covenant relationship that has been established by us through Jesus for all of eternity. We, don't, we want to stop getting it twisted. We want, to, we want to stop putting that first, to thinking that somehow we've got to earn that thing from you, that we've got to earn your love from you, God. We want to instead see that we are simply living out of the love that you've already accomplished for us. So humble us. Forgive us for thinking that we don't need your law, that that, that we are somehow beyond being instructed by you. Humble us and teach us. Turn us around. and We want to say thank you, God, for the relationship that we do have with you. We want to say thank you for making this covenant through Jesus with us. We, we want to say thank you, Lord, that we can expect transformation in our lives, even in those places where it's been uh, long and, and hard and dry. We, we, we want to be thankful, to you, Lord, that we can expect justice, um, especially in, the, in these days where it seems like injustice is winning. We, we, we want to say thank you, God, that your shalom can spill out uh, of us. So we're asking for these things God, but we know that in some way in some way you're you're um, you're depending on us to come to you you're depending on us to, to stop doing these things on our own you're, you're, you're asking us to come to an end of ourselves and to return to your holy scriptures to, to return to the to the words of life that you've already given us and and, and to re-enter and recommit and recovenant ourselves with you so that you can that you can do this beautiful work through us. And so I'm asking, um, as as we close in worship, that Spirit, you would help uh, uh, each one of us to have at least one specific, practical way that this coming week, we can come to your law, whether it's simply the, the big transformational idea that our lives are meant to love you and love our neighbors, whether it's putting our arms more tightly around your commandments, whether it is a fleshing out in very contextual ways in our lives how these things are to look, and I'm asking that you give each of us today one specific prompt of how we can lean into your law this week, of how we can submit our entire selves to this relationship with you once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.